want to share something today. Uh, it's brand new. Actually, I've written a book from it that will be published shortly. But I'll be in a very different mode today. As most of you know, I'm a preacher. But um, I can't really preach this because it's in depth, it's in detail. So I have to switch to teaching mode today. But um, I really want you to concentrate uh, on the word because it is quite involved. But I really want you, it's about the blessings of God, family blessings, getting it right. And, but there's a lot of detail. So you've really got to follow along as I'm preaching it. But I really believe um, that... You know, God would have me share that today. Look, here comes Pastor Sarah with their brand new little grandson. Look at that. Congratulations, guys. That tiny little bubba. He's a very loved little boy. (laughs) Amen. So, Father, I thank you as your word comes forth today. Lord, I thank you. Let me deliver it how you would have it delivered. Let your anointing be on it. Father, I thank you that, Lord, even as it's been parallel to my own life, and Father, as this word comes forth, it will help people in the hard times, to help people struggling in their families. Lord, seeing why it's worth it to do it your way, why it's worth it and the outcome and the plan and the purpose that you have. But Father, I pray that every person's eyes, ears and spirits will be open today to hear your word, Father God. Lord, let it be moved inside of them. Lord, let them see your purpose for families, for for our lives, Father God. And Lord, I thank you right now for your anointing that breaks every yoke. And everybody said, amen. Actually, you know, got this from just a lot of study that I did. And then I've only ever, I preached it once at a pastor's conference in New Zealand. And I had someone come during the worship. The Lord said to me, "Uh, you're going to write a book. And I'm like, ha ha, funny. If you know me, that's just not me, writing a book, doing all that stuff. And then I actually preached the message and then one of the pastors came up to me afterwards and he said, you need to write that in a book. And I'm like, oh my gosh, the Lord just told me that. And then during, we went out, had a break, I was talking with someone, then another guy who didn't hear that come up to me and said, you need to write a book about it. And so then a lady came up to me at the end and she said, I said, oh, that's just out of my depth. She said, I will help you. She said, I help people put things together. So I'm like, great, I'll just send her all my notes on this message and she can put the book together for me. So I sent her all my notes. I thought, yep, that's easy, I can do that. But the thing about it, and a little bit today while I'm preaching, I'm just going to preach the Bible part. I haven't got the time to share a lot of my, how my own family entwined into that. But that's when she said to me, I sent the notes, she said, no, 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 you need to put your life story alongside the Bible story. I'm like, really? That's hard work. She's like, you can do it. And so I said, my God, Lord, I can do this. She said, I can do all things. And I sat down over the Christmas break and just began to write. And um, so the book will be out soon. If you want to hear how mine, you'll have to. But my book is called, So You Think Your Family Is Messed Up. And... um, Really, as I began, Greg said, after, so you think your family is messed up. He always says I have to emphasize the your. And understanding, I know where a lot of us at in family life, it can get complicated, it can get full of stuff. And, and so as I began to look at this Bible family, 
It was one of those families. But seeing the parallels of what, you know, God's plan and purpose for a family, then when man makes choices and then when things come to their right senses. And so pray for me as I bring it all together. Um, I really want to start. Judah's the main person that I'm focusing on. But to start with Judah, we have to start with Leah and Rachel and Jacob. Um, Jacob was, the, was married to Leah and Rachel and says this. It says Genesis 29 verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Isn't that amazing? Got to serve seven years. I wonder how many men would work hard for seven years to have their wife. Thank you, baby. He's got the right answers. Work hard seven years. Boy, that's committed. That's a committed man, isn't it? Work seven years, hard labour. This is not just behind a checkout. Not, this is, that's hard work too, but this is manual hard labour. Seven years he worked for her. He loved her that much and the Bible says it seemed but a day to him because he was so in love for her. And you know, that's what it is, true understanding. True love waits. True love waits. If you really love someone, see today there's so much confusion between lust and love. Lust doesn't wait, love waits. You know, and I always tell young girls, you know, if a man loves you, he will wait for you. Come on, he will wait for you. If he really loves, he will wait He'll put everything aside. And this is what Jacob did. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. He knows now. Come on. He's determined. Give me my wife for my time is complete and I want to lie with her. That's all he's thinking about. <laughs> Typical man, you know. <laughs> but he, come on, give the guy credit. He did pray seven years. He waited for us. He's like, it's up. She's my wife. Now give me up. <laughs> So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and gave her to Jacob. And Jacob lay with her. And Laban gave his servant girl Ziphla to his daughter as his maidservant. When morning came, there was Leah. This whole story, and many of you would have heard me preach on Leah, is a, is a sad story for Leah. But this is, you've got to think about it, real life families. Complication. Uh, he loves Rachel. He works hard. He wants to marry. But the father, because of tradition, he thinks that, well, Rachel can't get married before Leah. So he tricks her and he puts Leah in. But then you can imagine all the complications. The next morning, there was Leah. You've got to feel sorry for Leah. You know, it's like you look at that whole scenario. Rachel is there. You know, she would have been thinking at some point during the night, he's going to realize it's not me but he doesn't. He's so overcome with being with her that he doesn't. Can you imagine how that is a way to start off a marriage? She would have been thinking, well, it's all going to be over soon. I don't know where her father would have put her to silence her. How would he have kept her away thinking, hey, that's my husband. This is supposed to be my way. You know, women, when they get all crazy, Women get crazy about, that's my man. I'm supposed to be my, I married, I'm supposed to be my wedding night. Where, but now he puts Leah in there. I don't know what he did with her. I guess we get to heaven, we'll find out. It must be what matter we get to heaven. But somehow you can imagine her thinking, well, he's going to realize it's Leah. He's going to come out and chase dad and all hell's going to break loose. But he didn't realize till it was daylight. Greg said the poor guy didn't have light, you know. If he had electricity, he would have realized, but there was no electricity. But you can imagine what a way to start a marriage. 
deceit and, and all. And then Leah, the, the unforgotten one, she's now, Leah, or everything for her is gone. See, back then, for a woman, all your identity, everything was wrapped up in marrying your husband, your prince charming, your man. But now Leah will never have anybody. She's going to be second best her whole life through no fault of her own. He never loved her, and you can understand why he didn't love her. He was tricked. But then there's an old Havanois story you could go back, and I'm not going. But he was a deceiver. He tricked, he took his brother's birthright. See, the things that we do, the fruit that you sow, see, now it's come back on him in the most terrible way. He tricked her, he stole his brother's birthright. Come on, you can see here this complicated family. And it's just beginning. That's just the beginning of the complications. There was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is it that you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? And he said, finish the daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. This is a terrible, now he's got to be with her. Obviously, there's a bride. I haven't studied that. Man, I could go into this forever. But Obviously, there's a week he had to fulfill to be with her. So now another week, they can't be together. But now, not only that, he's now got to work seven more years for a price he's already paid. Come on, something he's already paid for. And then verse 31 says this, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So you can see this, and some of you would have heard me preach this whole message about Leah, the desperation. Even though she's second choice, she still wants to be loved. Because that's in all of us. Come on, we want God put it in us. We want to be loved. And she realizes now, she knew that he didn't want it, but she thinks, God's blessed me. He's opened the womb. She thinks that by having a baby, he's going to love me. He's, you can hear the desperation says this. Then she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, because the Lord has heard I'm unloved. She's still so desperate to be loved. He has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And verse 34 says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. See, she's settled now. She's gone from someone to love her, but someone will be attached to her. Come on, she's dropped her. She's realizing, well, he's not going to love me. I've had two, but now she's around this third one. Well, maybe he'll be attached to me. You can see her expectations dropping here. Therefore, she called him Levi. And soon she conceived again and bore a son. This is where it changes. Listen to this. And she said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called him Judah. Then she stopped there. You see, at this point, now when she's having this baby, she's suddenly now looking to the Lord. She's not looking for her love and her preacher, for her self-worth to come from a man that doesn't love her. Come on, she's not looking for her self-worth to come from another person. She finally gets it and she says, I will call him Judah, which means praise. I will praise the Lord. See, Leah finally gets it. And then Leah's life, in another message I've got, I'm not gonna, her life turns around for her at that point. She got to live a long life. She was buried with Jacob and Abraham and she become the one, the mother of Judah, 
which when she had a change of heart and realised that her love and her acceptance and her destiny, no matter what life has dealt her, no matter what horrible things have happened to her, she now realises, yes, my life is absolute mess. I'm unloved. I've been tricked into something. My life didn't turn out how I thought or how I planned, but I'm not going to look to man to I'm going to now look to God. And when she looks to God and when she puts her trust and her hope back in God, that's when everything changes for her. In Genesis 37, verse 3, now here's Jacob's sons. It says, now Israel, which is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he'd been born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornated robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any other of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. See, when we look at this whole family, you can see how messed up it is. Does this sound anything like your family? Does it resemble some parts of your family? There could be any number of families today like this. We've got two wives, stepbrothers and sisters, all living in the same household. And to make it worse, the father loves one woman more than the other and he favours one son over the others. You see, this added so much stress and fuel to a family that's already in a stressful place. It's not, and when you look at the whole scenario, it's not his fault, he didn't choose, he didn't choose to marry Leah, he was tricked in getting Leah, now he's got all these children from Leah, and it's like he doesn't love Leah, but now the true love of his life, Rachel, who he was willing to work seven years for, she gives him a son, Joseph, he loves that boy because it's with the woman who he really loved, who God destined him to be with. But that doesn't help the whole family circumstance. That doesn't help the whole family dynamics when you've got stepbrothers, stepsisters. They're unloved. Those kids would never have understood. Why does he love Joseph more than us? Why does he favour Joseph more than us? Why does he love their mother and not love our mother? Come on, they're kids growing up in a household. They're not understanding this complicated mess. So we can see they hate, the the stepbrothers hate him. Jacob didn't choose this life. He only ever loved Rachel. He only wanted to marry her. Everything's a mess. Now we've got a whole generation. He treats one son better for the woman that he loves. Leah's sons uh, is a whole generation now of children that are unloved. They're rejected. They're full of hate and they're full of jealousy. Because they don't understand what's going on. Come on, it's a messed up family. And then Genesis 37.10, we're looking at Joseph, the love son. He has this dream about these brothers coming and bowing down to him. It says, when he told his father, as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Verse 19, here comes the dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. See, this is what happens when you don't deal with the stuff, when you don't deal with the jealousy, when you don't deal with all the things that are in your life. 
Then what happens? It turns into hate and eventually becomes they've got murder in their heart now. They want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. They're so jealous of him. They can't see their purpose. So they, they make this plan, as we know as the story goes on, to kill Joseph. Then we go down to verse 26 and it says this. So Judah says to his brothers, what profit is, is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, us, and let not a hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And then verse 33, they tell me, they go back to the father and says, and he recognized and said, is it my son's tunic? A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn into pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist and mourned his son for many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and he said, for I shall go down in the grave to, to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now you can see, come on, they've done this. The father is in such grief. He loves this boy. See, they're thinking, we'll just do away with him. We'll get rid of him. We'll kill him off. You know, sometimes it's the same. We don't actually physically kill people, but we'll assassinate people's characters. We'll lie about them. We'll talk about them. Every little thing, we, we make it bigger and we gossip about people. We cause strife. Come on, that is the same. You, literally today, we don't physically murder people, but spiritually, as a church, we do that to people that we're jealous of, that we think of doing. We go around and we do all this stuff. But it didn't make it any better. It made the father worse. It didn't make the father love them anymore. Come on, sin and jealousy and actions and things that we do does not make the father love them anymore. It just made the father still, he was miserable. He lost his son. The seeds of jealousy, hate, rejection, not dealt with, produced death, lies, sin, and secrets. Come on, if we do not deal with things in our life, jealousy, hatred, rejection, when we don't deal with those things, it produces lies, death, secrets, and more sin. And I'm going to show you that now as we pick up even more of Judah's life. That's why in this church we believe in the ministry of You know what Bob and the team do about going back and dealing with generational stuff, dealing with things that sometimes we don't realise we're harbouring in our life because those things turn into, when they're not dealt with, come on, they turn into lies, secret, more secret, sin. The devil knows when you keep something in darkness, that's where he lives. Come on, he lives in the darkness. When you keep secrets in dark, that's where he lives. When you do things secretly, lies, all those things, Satan's got it over you because he lives in that place. But when you confess your sin, when you deal with your sin, when you deal with stuff, you bring it into the light, you're able to receive that healing power from the Lord and you're able to move on and produce life. That's why we love all that, man. That's why here sometimes you might be part of this church and feel like sometimes we're on your case. 
It's because we love you. Because we know that God's got a purpose and a destiny for you. And we, when we see lies and sin and things happening, we don't want to see you this continuing in the darkness. We don't want to see a whole generation destroyed. When you can just simply bring it to the light, confess and deal with it and see the blessings of God in your life. Can you imagine the guilt that these boys are feeling? See, they thought, we'll just get rid of the problem. We'll kill him. But now, can you imagine the guilt they're feeling when their father, I mean, they love their daddy. It doesn't matter who your daddy is always, you still always love your parents. Come on. He wasn't a horrible father to them. When they're seeing him in so much pain, can you imagine the guilt that each one of these boys are feeling? He's refused to be comforted. And they're most probably thinking, Dad will get over it, he'll get better. But he refused to be comforted. Like I said, it didn't make their father love them anymore. Their plan didn't work. See, sinful things never work. Lies never work. Come on, sin never works. It doesn't work. It just produces more lies, more sin, more hurt. I'm sure... They would have been thinking, where is Joseph? They had to live with that. What happens if Joseph turns up one day? They would have to, come on, they know he's not dead. What happens if Joseph comes back someday? But you know what? At any time, any one of these boys could have confessed. Come on, they could have done the right thing and confessed their sin at any time. They're seeing their father in grief. But you know, sometimes when we get in lies and get in mess and we start lying and we start sinning and we feel like that it's just too much and too big to confess and come clean about something. But as you see, this got worse because they didn't. Not one of the boys owned up. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, He who covers his sins will not prosper. I don't know how much more clear the Bible can be. If you cover your sin, you will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Our God's a merciful God. Come on. If we confess our sins, he brings life. It brings it out into the life. When you've got what I've seen over people's lives in the things that we've dealt with in prayer counseling things, when people have got secret sins and things in their life, it's such bondage to them. They live in bondage because the devil continually torments them because he's got it over them. You've got that lie. And whenever you come forward, you'll never be worthy. You're living a lie. Come on. He keeps speaking that. So you're never, ever can rise above it but then when it's brought out in the light they feel such relief that finally it's out see finally they're free Satan you've got no power over me anymore I'm free from this lie I'm free from this sin now I can live righteously I can live before the Lord so at this point Judah chooses to run and hide he leaves the family home He marries a Canaanite. This is rebellion. By doing this, he chooses not only to follow God. By doing this, he chooses not to follow God's purpose or laws for his life. He's not supposed to marry a Canaanite. Come on. He runs away. Obviously, I believe it got too much for him. He couldn't handle living in his father. So he he chose to run away. But you see, there was a promise. Abraham's seed 
that the Messiah would come from the loins of Judah. That was a promise that was spoken back. That the Messiah, that Jesus would come from the loins of Judah. Come on, he's got a prophetic promise. He's got a purpose. But now he's in sin and all this stuff and the family's messed up and all. He's not trust. So he chooses to run away. Many of us think they're getting away from it all. Buying the house in the country. Going overseas. Starting again. Going to a new church. We think that it'll help the pain. We think that it'll solve everything if we run away. But it still goes with you. Come on, it's with you. Best be in a place where you can deal with it, that they love you and help you through. If you run away, it still follows you. It goes everywhere. And see, a lot of people think running away is the answer. That's why we see a lot of people run away because the devil gets in their head when there's sin and when there's stuff and tells them, you're not worthy enough, you're not good enough. And so they cause them, they run away because the pressure seems so much. But the devil's still with you. The pressure still goes with you. But if we come before God and confess our sin and bring it in the light, you'll have peace. Come on, you'll have that help. And you're walking God's purpose. So here, only surrendering to God can make you whole. Come on, that's the only way you'll ever get whole is surrendering to God. Judah chose his own way. And we see, what'll ha- we see what happens. Genesis 38 verse 1. Judah leaves his home. He marries the Canaanite. At that time, Judah left his brothers and he went down to stay with a man in Adullam. Then Judah met the daughter of the Canaanite man. He married her and he lay with her. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son who he named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son who he named Onan. She gave birth to still another and named him Sheila. In the process of all this happening, Judah loses two sons and a wife. Choices. See, rather than choose God's way, he chose his own. He ran, not confessing his sin. Come on, running away from it. But because of that, there's a, come on, there's a cost. Our choices are free. But the consequences of our choices are not ours. Come on, the things that happen then, it'll cost you everything. Genesis 38, it says this, verse 6. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. My gosh, look at this. What start off, come on, the generational blessing, death, horrible things, wickedness coming forth. Then Judah said to Onan, lie with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. That was the laws back then. He was supposed to take her and give her a child so that she would still have honour. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So wherever he lay with his brother's wife... He omitted on the ground to keep from producing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Leave as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up, for the thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. See, now at this point, Judah's still not taking responsibility. He thinks that all his sons have died because of her. 
That's what he thinks. He, he's trying to shift the blame. He can't see yet that it's the consequences of his choices and his sin. What's happening? So now he thinks it's her. She's the problem. I'm not going to give. But the law was that he, he should have given the younger son to Tamar. So the story goes on. Can you see this horrible mess of this family? Genesis 38 verse 13 says this. When Tamar was told, see at this point, sorry, before that, Judah had no intention of giving his son to Tamar. And Tamar would have been left with nothing, no honor, no income. She would have been destitute through no fault of her own. Come on. She married someone. She was, had an entitlement in her, but he wanted to give her nothing. But she was a fighter. So she realizes when Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. For she, she saw that through Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for, he had covered, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. So now here we see we've got more sin. She's become acting as a prostitute. She's desperate to get what should be hers. But he doesn't realize he's actually committing fornication. This is his daughter-in-law. There's so much sin going on here. His wife's died. He's not supposed to be sleeping anyone. He's not a married man. So now he's committing fornication. But little does he know it's incest as well. Come on, there's a whole bag of stuff going on in this family. When you look back, if they'd just done the right thing in the beginning, confess their sin, move. Come on, now look at the horrid mess. Lies, more lies, more sin, more covering up, more complications. Verse 18 says this, He slept with her and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off the veil and put on her widow's clothes again. In verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution and then now as a result, she is pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and I'll have her burned to death. My gosh. Is that the pot calling the kettle black? He still can't see his sin. And when he's just been and slept with a prostitute, it was actually what he thought was her and she wasn't a prostitute. But now because he finds out his daughter-in-law has done that, he wants to burn her and kill her. You can see the man's totally warped in his thinking. He's so far away from God now. He's got so much sin, so much life, but he's still trying to act righteous. He's still not becoming, taking a hold of the sin that was his. He's still not taking responsibility for what he did. He wants to kill her now. And verse 25, as she was being brought out, she sent a messenger to her father-in-law, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. You know, be sure your sins will find you out. Judah recognized him and said, so I believe he has a wake up right here. Judah says, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son. And he did not sleep with her again. I believe at this point, because after this, the babies are born, I'll go and tell you. We don't hear a, 
a little bit much more about him till he goes back to his family. But I believe this was his wake-up call. Something happened that made him realise, take responsibility. She is more righteous than me. I should have done the right thing. And now I'm busy thinking, my gosh, I've slept with my daughter-in-law. All under, when you, when you, come on, when you get into sin, you get cloaked with this, you can't see clearly. Your thoughts aren't clearly, things aren't clear. You're living in the darkness with the devil, so you can't see. You can't see clearly. Come on, he's going into sin. Well, just, he thinks just a, a one-night fling. He's got a bit of lust. He hasn't got his lust on God. I'll just have this one-night fling with, with this prostitute. No one will ever find out. Big mistake. I know so many one-night flings that end up big mistakes. Verse 27. When the time come for her to give birth, there were twin boys in a womb. And she, as she was giving birth, one of them put his hand out. So the midwife, midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on the wrist and said, This one come out first. But when he drew back his hand, his other brother come out and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And his name was Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was given the name Zerah. See, God had a plan for Jesus to come down through the family line of Judah. That was God's plan. See, someone, we've got prophetic promises. God has a plan. He has a way that it's got to be done. He has a way for our life. And if we walk in it, come on, if you're a family, if you're struggling to get everything in your family right, and it's tough when you're struggling to, to bring generational things together and to deal with the generational stuff and deal with sin and thought patterns, that is hard work doing that. But if you do it right and bring everything out in the light and deal with stuff and keep moving on, you can see then the blessing that comes. That was God's plan. God's plan still is come to pass here. But look at the mess in between. See, there's consequences when we do it our way, when we don't follow God's way. It still came to pass. Through this baby that Tamar had, Perez was the direct bloodline to Jesus. It still came to pass God's word that the Messiah come out of the loins of Judah. But I bet you there was never God's plan for it to work out in that mess and the complication. But Tamar in Ruth 4, she is spoken of in generations. It says this, Ruth 4 verse 12. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez who tame a boar to Judah. She's still spoken of. In Ruth 4 verse 18, it talks about the family line from where we had Perez to Obed to Boaz to Jess to David to Jesus. There's a lot of others in between, but it's the direct bloodline. Now we're going to go back to Joseph. What's become of him? Joseph, the son who was favoured. Joseph didn't do anything wrong either. But there's a big difference here. Joseph is hated by his brothers. Can you imagine how he feels that his own brothers, his own people that he loved, tried to kill him? 
just could wipe him out just like that. And then we know Joseph's progress of his life. He's in prison. He's wrongly accused. All these things happen to him. But we can see the imprint of God on Joseph's life. Even though he's in prison, he has favor. Come on, he interprets the dream. When he gets into Potiphar's house, he's put in the highest position to rule in his house. But then the wife falls for him and she wrongly accuses him of rape and he gets thrown into prison. He's got a bit of a tough deal, but it's nothing like this. And there's not a mess being created through Joseph's life. Come on. Joseph's still honouring God. Because what happens when he gets to prison? He gets put in charge of all the prisoners. He gets, once again, he gets put in a favourable position. But there's a process. He's going through some hard stuff. He's dealing with some hard things. But it's nothing compared to what's going on with his brothers and Jude and his father and the mess and the sin and the lies. It's just hard stuff. See, when we choose God's way, you still have hard stuff to deal with. But when you look at the two lives in comparison, it's nothing compared to the mess and the consequences of Judah, the death, two sons, a wife, sin. Come on, everything that went on. But in the meantime, God's still working with Joseph and working on the plan. He's working on the dream that he gave Joseph when he was with his brothers. But you can see Joseph has got on with life and he's still hearing God because we know in the prison he interprets dreams. He's obviously still got a relationship with the Lord. He can inter- he's seen as a man of honour. People put him in positions of favour. Yes, he's got a tough life, but he's got the favour of God with him. Even in the prison, in the past, he's got the favour of God on his life. Genesis 42 verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him and their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognised them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Although Joseph recognised his brothers, they did not recognise him. Isn't that incredible? See, I believe what sin does to you. One of the first things I know for Greg and I, a few people we've known who have been in high up positions, who have fallen, the very first thing we notice when we see them the next time is they're unrecognisable. They look older. They've lost something. With the first thing we realize then it's the sin. When you allow the sin, you lose something. You lose a You lose that wholeness. You lose that part. See, it's funny how he knew who his brothers were, but the brothers never recognized him. I believe that was because of the power of God on his life and everything that he'd done and the position. They're never thinking their brother would be. Here he is, the second most powerful man in the land. And then Joseph at this point remembers his dream. There's a lot happening between that dream. You know, a lot can happen between you get a prophetic word from God and there can be a lot of mess. And in that process, God's dealing with you. He deals with us in the process to prepare us. And I'll show you up further how we prepared Joseph, how you can see Joseph's heart was changed and turned. 
There was a process and in our lives, come on, if you're going through family stuff, you're dealing with stuff, God feels like there's a process. But I'm trying to show you today, if you choose and run away and want to just run from it and not deal with it, I'm sick of it, it's too hard. It will be way harder if you do it the other way. And the fruit of doing it the other way is unbelievable. Death, destruction, lies, come on. Verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you're honest men, let one of the brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take green back to your starving households. Interesting, he says, if you're honest man, he wants to see how these brothers changed because they were dishonest men. They were dishonest. He says, but you must bring back your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do in verse 21. Then they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. Come on, they remember. You can't run from your sin and the things that you do. It's hitting them hard in the face now. They're realising we're being punished because of what we did to our brother. But little did they know that was their brother. Come on, your sin will always catch up with you. The stuff will always catch up with you. But it's whether you want to deal with it in the light and get it over and done with and walk on to God's purpose or whether you want to keep it in dark and have destruction after destruction after destruction. But it will come back and bite you just as it is now. And they realise. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress is coming upon us. Come on, realisation for them. Think finally it's heading home for these guys. What they did to their brother was wrong. Reuben, Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. They're remembering it well, because Reuben did say that. Now we must give an account for his blood. In other words, now we must give an account for the sin that we did. There's always an accounting for the sin. There's always a cost for your choices. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Verse 38 They go back to the father. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he's the only one I have left. It's pretty horrible even for them, hey? But you can understand this man. He loved one woman. He loved her. He's tricked into marrying another. She dies. His son that he loves, Joseph, he thinks he's dead. In other words, really what I think he's saying, all he's got left of Rachel is this one boy. The love of his life, the woman that he loved the most, all he's got left is this one boy. You can kind of understand why he doesn't want to let him go. But I believe God was dealing with him as well. If harm comes to me on this journey, you are taking, you are taking, you will bring my grey head down to the grave in sorrow. Genesis 43, verse 8. This is, I believe, where Judah steps up. He's a changed man. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and I will go at once 
so that we and our children may live and not die. He's taken responsibility. Come on, Judah's standing up at this point. Finally, he's taking responsibility. I'm going to do this so our family won't die. I'm going to be responsible. We've sinned. We've done the wrong thing. He doesn't actually tell his father, but he's taking responsibility. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. It's pretty incredible because remember, this is the son of the mother that he loved the most. This is why they got rid of Joseph because of all this jealousy and hatred of the son. Now he's willing to die for the brother. That's a changed man. He's stepping up, taking responsibility. I will be the surety for this boy. You know, at that point, they could have just left one of the brothers there. They could have just said, you'll never go back. There could have been so many things. But Judah now is stepping up. But also, I believe Jacob had to let go and trust God. For his family lived. Come on, Jacob had to, at this point, let go. He's so grief-ridden. He's lost everything. He's obviously hanging on to this boy. But there comes a point where he's got to trust God with the life of his son. And verse 14 says this, And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. You're God. The God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Joseph prepares a feast for them. He blesses them. But I believe there's another test that Joseph does. He puts a silver cup in Benjamin's sack. What would their brothers do? Would they leave Benjamin to die or make up another lie? Come on, I believe this was a test. He was seeing if his brother's hearts had changed or were they still the same angry, jealous, having no concern for their father. Genesis 44, verse 17, the final test. But Joseph said, far be it from it to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. Verse 18, then Judah went up to him and said, please, my Lord, let your servant speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, do you have a father or brother? And we answered, we have an aged father and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead and he is the only one left of his mother's son and his father loves him. See, he's pleading now for his brother's life. He's a changed man. Come on. He's stepping in, pleading. I've got to take them back. And in Genesis 37 verse 8, this point now, sorry, in verse 33, this is where Joseph's dream is fulfilled that was spoken of in Genesis 37 8. Now then, please let your servant remain here as the Lord's slave in this place of the boy and let the boy return to his brother's. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, don't let me see this misery that would come upon my father. He loves his father. Come on, he doesn't want to see any more heartache 
come to his father. Genesis 45, verse 4. This is the breakthrough. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. and the next five, there will not be a plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you for a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household and rule of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. Go made, and made me lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. Now isn't this incredible? You can see where Joseph has gone with his life. At that point, he had the power to kill all his brothers. At that point, he had the power to make his brothers suffer. He could have received his perfect revenge on them. He's got the power now. Come on. He's got all power. But you can see Joseph was a man who followed God. Because now he understands his destiny. Now he understands. Listen, guys, don't feel bad about what you did. It was God who did it. God sent me here. Come on, this was my purpose. He understands now through the prison, the pit, everything he's been through. He now understands that was God's purpose for his life. And see, whatever you're going through, when you do the hard yards, come on, you might be in the prison, you might be in the pit, you might be going, but you've got to understand if you follow God and walk his way, you will see redemptive power. You will see the God. You will not be full of hatred and bitterness. Come on, you will see. You'll be able to love the very people who tried to kill you because now he understands the process of his dream. He says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen. An interesting Goshen. Greg preached about Goshen a few weeks ago. The actual reunion took place in Goshen. And he says, and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren. You can see here now the generational blessing. Come on, the side of Judah and all that. It was ending with sin, lies, destruction, death, death, more death. And at this point, that side of the family were at a place of complete dying. Come on, they would have died except for Joseph. But now God has sent Joseph on. He's followed God. He's done the godly plan. He's done the hard yards. He's been in prison. He's been a slave. He's been beaten. But he's followed his God. He's allowed God to deal with him. Now he's going to set a generation free. And it's not just for them. It's for the children and the grandchildren. And many of you would have heard me talk about our own life, understanding the hard yards we did, the stuff in our marriage, being willing to forgive, willing to fight, willing to put our sin out on the table, willing to say I've fallen short. We were willing to do it. And as we've done it, now it's a generational blessing. Come on. This church is from a generational blessing of us willing to stand and do the hard stuff. Now, Sarah and Brad and Zara, come on, and forever church goes on. Yeah. See, you don't understand. 
If I had not understood when I was going through the hard stuff, when no one had run away, just like Judah, when I didn't want to deal with the sin, when I didn't want to deal with stuff, when I just wanted to run and hide and do my own thing, the sin seemed better. The thing, it seemed easier to walk out of the marriage and go this way. That seemed easier. But if I'd done that at that point, I would have had one daughter and that's it. Sarah would never have existed. Come on, you're going to understand. It's worth fighting for. It's worth doing it God's way because there's a generational blessing that goes on and on. Yes, it's tough. But if you look at the parallel of the two lives, who did it tougher? But who at the end walked in purpose and destiny and had everything and was the second most powerful man in the land. He was in the pit. He was disowned by his family. He was trod on by his own brothers. Come on. He was left to die. But now he's the second most powerful man with everything. But God then restores his family. Restores the family through him. Children and grandchildren. He says this, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who you belong to would have become destitute. Come on, they would have all died except for Joseph and that's fulfillment of the prophetic dream that he got as a young boy. You know, when you look, there's so many things in this family. Jacob's a deceive, deceiver. He stole his brother's birthright. His father-in-law's a deceiver, gives him Leah first. He loves Rachel. Now there's double trouble. Leah's unloved. She realizes her worth isn't in Jacob loving her. She has Judah. Now I'll praise God. Women shall call me blessed. Leah produces the son that is the seed of David and Jesus. Leah gets to be Jacob's only wife. She's buried with him and his father. Rachel's buried in a field somewhere. Rachel was barren. She was full of jealousy. Not a very nice. She stole from her father. She lied. She died. She has two sons. Jacob loves and favours his son from Rachel. Other sons feel rejected, unloved, jealousy, plot to kill Joseph. But God has a plan and a purpose for this family. Judah runs away. He marries a Canaanite, two evil sons. He wrongs Tamar. Tamar makes good. God blesses her, gives her twins. One becomes the family line of Jesus. Judah goes back home, a changed man. Now he takes responsibility. He leads the family. He recognizes God. He's willing to offer himself for his brother. Jacob was wrong in favoring and loving his two sons from Rachel over Leah's sons. But it didn't help the jealousy in the family. Little did he know it would release, he would realize, and plus more, they can give back to him. Family life can be a mess, but when we do it our way, when we're full of jealousy, hate, and do evil, God had a plan for the family and it came to pass once they did it his way. They had a lot of pain and loss in between. Doing it God's way is so much easier. Come on, so much easier, though it doesn't feel like it at the time. My gosh, whatever you're going through with now is nothing. Come on, when you really put it into the light of what some people are suffering, and these, what jo- uh, Joseph would have felt like it was bad what he was going through. But if he could have seen over at Judah's household, his pain was nothing in comparison. Genesis 45 verse 16, news reaches Pharaoh. He's excited. 
And it says this in verse 24, Then he sent his brothers away as they were leaving. He said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. Don't worry. In other words, he's saying, Don't worry about who did it, whose fault it was. All's forgiven. He says, This charge has been given to us that we will love one. Sorry. He told them, in verse 26, they told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when he told them everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry them back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. And Israel said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive, and I'll go and see him before I die. What an incredible moment for the father. But the interesting thing is he had to release the beloved. Come on, he had to release the precious. He had to release the thing that was in order to get his other son back. Sometimes God's asking us to release that thing that we dearly love and we don't want to let go of it. But in this case, it brought him back his other son. Verse 46, so Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Bathsheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision that night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am. He replied, I'm the God of your father. And he said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for I'll make you a great nation there. And I'll go down to Egypt with you and surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Genesis 46 verse 29, Joseph had his chariot made ready and he went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept with him for a long time. God brings family back together. Come on, he heals and he restores. Only God can do it. Come on. We have to trust God with our family and with everything. We've got to trust God. With our life, come on. You've got to do some hard stuff. You've got to walk through some hard stuff. Like as you see in the story, it's incredible when I read this whole story. Running from God, covering sin, lies, all those things. All it leads is to more disaster and more disaster and more disaster. But Joseph, yes, he had some hard stuff. But in the end, he received the promise. Come on. He received everything and he was the deliverer for his family. You don't understand, it doesn't matter how messed up your family is, someone has to be willing to stand in the gap. Someone has to be willing to say, it finishes here, come on. Someone has to be willing to say, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in to the sin. I'm not going to keep lying. I'm not going to, come on, I'm going to walk a righteous. I'm going to walk with the Lord. I'm going to do what the Lord says. And when someone stands in the gap and does it, it's such a generation free. Come on, I can see it in my own life. You will see it in yours. And I know there's different ones. And in this church and in place, there's, you're going through stuff and you're dealing with the hard stuff in your family. But you've always got to keep doing what God says. We don't, come on, we've got to do what he says. We don't consume sin. We don't hide sin. Come on, we don't cover things. We don't lie about things. We bring everything out into the light. Come on, if it's in the light, then God can deal with it. You deal with it and you walk on and move on into God's promises. Amen. Let's stand. I know it's a little longer than normal. But just seeing the whole 
I know for me personally, it was just incredible revelation. And I know as I waited on the Lord, I was going to preach something else. But yesterday, I was just in the presence of the Lord. He told me, you've got to preach it. And it's a little rough around the edge. I haven't fully got it all together. But I knew it was a word to speak because I know just the type of church we have that some of you come from very dysfunctional families. Some of you are struggling. My family was a dysfunctional family. Very dysfunctional. Greg's family was very dysfunctional. But people stand up and stand in the gap and say, we're going to do it right. We're not going to keep living in darkness. We're not going to keep living in lies and sin because it produces more light. It produces more sin. It It kills. It destroys. Because in the darkness is where the devil lives. He is the ruler of the darkness. Come on. He has all that. That's his part. But when you bring something into the light, come on. When light comes in, what happens? The darkness has to flee. When we walk in a dark room, it doesn't matter how little your light is. The darkness doesn't stay. As soon as you put light in a room, darkness disappears. So we've got to be willing to deal with stuff. Come on, you might be going through hard things. It might seem hard to you just as it did for Joseph to be thrown in a pit, to lose all his family, to be a slave, to be put in prison, to be wrongly accused. And you might feel like that now, but I want to tell you, it's nothing compared to what's going on on the other side. There's nothing compared to the destruction that happens on the other side of the people that don't walk with the Lord and the sin and the stuff to the poverty and the non-blessing and the disease and the things that just flow down. I've seen it. The sides of my family that walk with the Lord and the sides that didn't. The heartache. The destruction. The brokenness, the kids, they're just so broken and so young. But then the side that have chosen God and dealt with it, the blessing, the peace, the promise. But then beyond that, it's the generational thing. My children haven't had to suffer any of that. Because it's a promise of God. If you do the right thing, if you deal with stuff, if you bring things from out of darkness to light, if you deal with your sin, only God can make families right. Only God can turn your messed up family around. But we've got to do what we've got to do. We can't turn a blind eye to things God's asking us to deal with. Come on, it seems easier to run away. For Judah, it seemed easy. Let's just run away from my purpose and my destiny. I'm going to leave, get away from dad and this sin. See, things, if I leave that, I won't see dad weeping every day. I won't have to be reminded what I did to my brother. I won't have to be thinking about where's my brother living. I'm just going to go and do what I want. But that brought him more misery. God is raising up a people who are strong and they'll do exploits. It's not that God, you've gone through stuff and when you're in the hard stuff, just like Joseph, you might feel like God's forgotten you. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like that all your family's rejected you. You might feel like you're stuck in a horrible prison, but God's still with you. 
He's still there for your purpose and he's working in your background. He's working on your behalf. He's doing stuff that you cannot even see and that you do not even know. Just like he, Joseph, I bet you he had no idea what the Lord was doing in the background. He had no idea of what's going on in his family. He had no idea of everything. Come on, live in that place. I bet you he never realized at the end that he would become the second most powerful man, that that prophetic word God gave him was the thing that brought Savior to his family, saved his family, brought reconciliation. Come on. Just do the stuff. Come on. Don't run from your responsibility. Don't run from God. Don't run from the hard things. Come on, fall on the Lord. Humble yourself. See, it's pride that keeps us on the other side. It's filthy pride. Come on. When we're just willing to say, I'm sorry, God. Forgive me, help me. Willing to say sorry to other people. Willing to admit our shortcomings. Willing to admit our sin. Taking it from the dark place into the light. Then God brings life. He brings healing. He brings a generational blessing. Let's look to the Lord. Father, I thank you for each person here today. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, it's so powerful to see the parallel of two lives, Father God. And Lord, often when we're in it and it's difficult and it's hard, the easy thing is to run. It seems easy. Just push it under the carpet. Just push it, not deal with it. Run away from it. Get as far away from it. But he'll always follow you. And once you leave that covering of the Lord, you're out there for the enemy to destroy and to kill and to wreak havoc and bring havoc even more into your life. God's way is tough at times, but he's a faithful God. And even though it feels difficult at the time what you're going through, it feels like it's never ending. It feels like it's never going to change. It feels like, how many things do I have to fight? I'm sure Joseph felt all of that as well. But I want to tell you, when you get to the place of where the Lord has you to be, I bet you Joseph never regretted one day in prison, one day in the pit, one day, any of that. He would never have regretted. See, in actual fact, then Joseph now can see what the Lord was doing. And I know for our own lives, at the time when you don't see it, Because you've got to be willing to put yourself aside. You've got to be willing to lay down your desires and say, God, I trust you and I trust your word. I'm going to do what you say and I'm going to stick this out. I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand. Someone has to make a stand. And you know what? You don't have to be concerned what your husband and your wife or what someone else is doing. You just be responsible for you. If they don't want to do it, then don't worry about it. You are not responsible for their life. God is responsible for them. You are responsible for you and God. And just like Joseph, and just as you've heard us preach many times, we would do it all again. Ask us when we're in it, we want to run. But now the other side, come on, when you get to breakthrough, 
then you see the perfect picture. You see all the puzzles fitting. You see what the Lord was doing. And you look back and say, it was worth it. The hard stuff, Joseph would have looked back and said it was worth it. Now, Father, we surrender to you today. Lord, I thank you. Father, if there's things that we have in the darkness, I pray right now that we will confess our sin, that we'll bring it out into that place of light. Lord, I break every plan the enemy tries and keep people bound by sin in the darkness, but tries to have them run from dealing with stuff. Father, I thank you today. Lord, we rise. We're going to do what we need to do, Father God. Lord, I thank you for that anointing that's here right now that gives people the strength. Lord, as they look and see, even through your word, the best way is your way. Though it seems hard at the time, in comparison to the other pathway, It's a breeze. Lord, I thank you. I make a decision today. I'm standing for my destiny and purpose for the generations. Lord, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving in to sin. I'm not running away. Father, I'm going to stand in you. And Lord, I'm going to have my purpose and destiny fulfilled for the generations. Now, Lord, I thank you for those ones right now that have been struggling. I'm not going to do an older call because I felt the Lord say not to do it. You have to take ownership yourself. Come on, just like Judah, there come a point where he had to take ownership. It doesn't matter what life has dealt you. Come on. Leah was dealt some hard stuff, but she took ownership. When we want to blame others and run and do all that stuff, come on. There comes a day where you've got to take ownership. When Judah took ownership, when he stood up, everything began to change. And you understand when you look later on, Judah was the son who got the father's blessing. Now, when you see customary with Bible things, the eldest son receives a blessing. Judah was the fourth son. He wasn't supposed to receive the father's blessing. Come on, he got the blessing of the firstborn. Not Joseph, who was his firstborn from Rachel. Come on, the firstborn son gets the blessing. Doesn't matter where. He was the fourthborn, but he got the blessing. I believe because he was the one who stood up. Come on. But God's purpose and plan was always for Jesus to come from Judah. But it wasn't until he stood up, come on, and took responsibility. So Father, I pray, I thank you today that we will stand and take responsibility for our life, Father, for the wrongs, for the sin, if there's sin, if there's lies, if there's judgment, we will stop it, Father. We will confess it. We will bring it into the light. We will confess our sins, Father God, and we'll bring it into the light. Father, And we will walk with you. Father, I take ownership of my life, of my destiny, of my purpose. Lord, we stop blaming others. We stop hiding behind things. Lord, we stop 
um, Lord, making false things about ourselves, building ourselves up bigger than what we really are. Father, we come down to you humbly before you. Father, as broken people and say, Lord, here we are. Use us, Father God. Mend us, mold us, shape us. And Lord, I thank you for that generational blessing. Thank you, Father. Lord, you're raising up a strong church. You're raising up a generation that will not compromise, that only know to do it your way. Father, that have eyes to see clearly destruction, that have eyes to see clearly the plans of the enemy. Lord, today we choose life and we choose your way, Father. Now, Lord, we surrender all to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Just allow, I I just feel the Lord moving. allow him to do what what he's doing. Thank you, Lord. We choose to walk in the light because where the light is, the darkness flees. Lord, there's so much freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, we want to live in that place of freedom with you. Though, Lord, sometimes it's tough and it's hard and we're dealing with stuff, but there's freedom and there's peace. The peace of God is with us. When we're doing it God's way, come on, even though you're in the midst of the battle, the peace of God will be with you. And you will come to that place of rich fulfillment. Rich fulfillment. Come on, just like Joseph and his family. And God will restore your family. I just see God just lifting some of you out of that miry clay. You've just been in that place like quicksand. It's like because of the, the hidden stuff and the, you're just in that place and it's like you get an arm free and another arm free and then you might get a leg free, but it's never for long. And then the quicksand, come on, the lies, the jealousy, the, the stuff just sucks you back down. see God just, his hand out and he's lifting you out. Come on, as you stand and take responsibility, confess what you need to confess and bring things and as you, his hand is there and he's lifting you up and taking you on that pathway of freedom, of his purpose, of his destiny. Come on, God's purpose will be fulfilled. But whether you choose to be Judah or Joseph, Come on, the choice is yours. They all had choices. Whether you choose to be a Judah path or a Joseph path. Though both Joseph had a tut, but nothing compared to Judah. 
choose life. Come on. Choose God's way. Thank you, Father. And Lord, we give you praise. I thank you for the generational blessing you're setting up through each and every one of us. Lord, that some of us, our, our families are messed up. But Lord, this was one crazy, messed up family. But Lord, when they did it your way, good come from it. Good comes from it, Father. The blessings come, our prophetic words come into fulfilment when we do it your way, Father. Take God's way today. Thank you, Lord. We honour you. We love you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to be strong. Help us to be strong. Help me to be responsible. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. great is his love for you how great is his love as we sang earlier as we've talked about he doesn't want to see you going through all that stuff his love is so great for you but he knows what's best for you you know it doesn't matter what you've done where you've been his love is great for you it's just a matter of turning and taking the choice come on it's so simple thank you father turn. Come on. When you repent, it means to turn from our ways. That's what it is. Now, Lord, we love you. We honour you. And Father, I thank you in this church. Father, in your kingdom, you're raising up people that will not compromise. Lord, a strong people. Father, a strong people that will do exploits. Lord, the kingdom of God, you're raising up a generation now, Father, that are willing to stand in the gap and do the hard yards. Father, you're bringing forth a great generation. Lord, let us be strong so that we can do great exploits. Those that are strong in their God shall do mighty exploits. That means being strong in temptation, strong in dealing with the stuff. That's how you're going to do mighty exploits. Now, Lord, we love you. Say, have your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord a shout. Thank you, Lord.